When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your songs. For good times, the best times, you can't go wrong. We'll two-step, a new step, it won't be long. When the Dixieland is a playing. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Live from Before My Time podcast with your host, Gelsey Laurie, it's Saturday Night Live. The first five years. Record it live. We did do this on live. Yeah, so this one is going to be a little bit different. Uh, This was part of the Geekscape 15-hour charity live stream that we did on December 17th. Uh, some of you were watching and tuning in, I know. So thank you to those of you who were. But yeah, we talked about the first five years of SNL. So if it sounds a little bit different, sounds a little funky, sounds a little more raw. It was our first, but and I'm stressing first because certainly not last live episode of Before My Time. Talking about Saturday Night Live. Yay! <laughs> for this live. <laughs> so <laughs> let's tell the people a little bit about what we do. So what is Before My Time? Um, Before My Time is a podcast where myself, Matt, and sometimes a guest come on to discuss things that we are obsessed with before our time. So I was born in the early 90s and I am obsessed with everything. As you can see by my hairdo, I was going for a little bumper bangs, 1940s. I'm an old soul retro. So we cover everything from Pop culture, history, architectural design, literature, all the things that I'm obsessed with. So, yeah, and it's fun and it's historical, it's factual, and it's me just giving my two cents and what I feel about it. There you go. And what are we going to talk about today, Gelsey? Okay, today we're going to talk about the first five years of Saturday Night Live, which is. Before both of our times, that's it's the late 70s, early 80s. Now, I saw on Instagram that you were doing uh, a crap ton, I believe is the the actual metric of research for this. Oh, yeah. Um, I did very little research beyond just like my own knowledge of that time in SNL. So I think this will be a fun one because I think you're going to be throwing the the cold, hard facts out there. And I'm going to just be like, hey, remember Landshark? <laughs> Land- I definitely have Landshark. Like, it, that is one of my all time. And we will hit that. So, if you guys don't know what Landshark is, I will very detail explain what it is because it's probably the greatest sketch. But I want to open up. We have a full hour, which I'm sure we could fill. Oh, but yeah. 
we want the audience watching to get involved too. So in the meantime, while we're talking, how about you also throw out in the chat some of your favorite memories and sketches of the first five years of SNL. And we will try our best to address all of those towards the end of our little podcast here. Yes. So where um, do you want to start? Where does the story of SNL begin? The story of SNL begins when NBC needed to fill the Saturday night, 11.30 p.m. time slot. It originally, from 1965 to 1975, they'd just been doing reruns of The Tonight Show. So <laughs> that was all that was on. And Johnny Carson wanted actually more time off. So he asked them to stop doing the reruns so that they could do reruns during the weekdays so that he could have those weekdays off as well. So thus becomes the hunt for that time slot. So Lauren Michaels and Dick Ebersol, who um, they created the show, Dick Ebersol actually went on to become a senior advisor for NBC Universal Sports and Olympics. So <laughs> comedy, sports, same thing, right? Yeah. But we all know Lauren Michaels is today still the producer. Um, so he is the original creator as well. It kind of started as a variety show. They wanted to do a comedy show. In the beginning, it didn't really have a set form. And um, I'll get into the cast members. But they weren't necessarily, it wasn't what it is today, just a full sketch show. It was a lot more musical numbers. The Muppets were on the first season a lot. Yeah, they were. Um, yeah, which <laughs> it actually didn't work out too well for them. On um, yeah. Just wasn't the right platform for them. There's, there's an infamous quote from one of the writers. Uh, I think he said, I don't write for felt. Uh, yes, yes, he, that was said. Correct. Yeah, there was. Uh, <laughs> and if anyone has listened to our show before, they know that we are diehard Muppets fans. Yeah, the Muppets come up pretty regularly, which is weird. That's not something I normally talk about on other podcasts. But no, yeah, I think we've mentioned them every <laughs> single episode. Somehow we find a way to be like, and the Muppets. Um, the backbone of the podcast. It's it is the backbone. <laughs> but not of SNL. So Saturday Night Live um, was the original name chosen for the show, but ABC was actually already doing a show or had that name for Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. That show only lasted 18 episodes. It was a failed show, but the original members on that show were Bill Murray, Brian Doyle Murray, and Christopher Guest, all who later become SNL cast members. Uh, Bill Murray joins in the second season. Brian Doyle Murray, who's his brother, becomes a writer in the second season and then becomes a cast member season 10. And then Christopher Guest joins season 10 of SNL. So it's kind of a fun, you know, that failed, but they all ended up going to the, what will become Saturday Night, Night Live. Yeah, and I, I think that you do have to give a lot of credit and attention to National Lampoon at this time as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, where a lot of the first cast comes from is, is National Lampoon. So much so that I feel like, uh, and and this is, I mean, this is a whole other episode. I think I've mentioned him before on the podcast, but Doug Kinney, uh, one mm -hmm. of the most underrated comedic minds of the 70s in a lot of ways, uh, took it very badly, actually. Um, he had, I believe NBC had approached them originally to do a national lampoon show and he said no and then all of a sudden the national lampoon's radio team was bill mary brian doyle mary chevy chase john mm -hmm. belushi like they just Yoda, kind of took yeah. all of he they took his entire team and gave them a show without his input took a bunch of the writers from national lampoon so i think one of the interesting things when you look back at 70s SNL and, mm -hmm. and we can dig into this a lot deeper is that while SNL has always been political and it's always been pop culture uh, based, this was so much more absurdist humor than I think <sighs> SNL was for like when you think of like 90s SNL, which is like our era of SNL with mm -hmm. like Sandler and Chris Farley. So much of it is like catchphrases and pop culture. But mm -hmm. like this was like the basomatic where you would just do like a weird ad about a dude blending fish into a blender to drink like right yeah way more absurd yeah that is absolutely true nothing had been done like this before it kind of it's interesting to go from watching season 1 and then going through the first 5 because you you do see it also morph 
into kind of what it's becoming. You know, it's 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 birth years. So getting into the cast and and who created it too. Oh, this is a fun. So the show was called NBC's Saturday Night because they couldn't be Saturday Night Live. But on the Saturday Night Live on ABC, they called their cast the primetime players. So and they were the not ready for they were the players. yep, not which ready they, for primetime players, which I think they still refer to them as even to this day. They right? don't No, okay. Actually, season five was the end of the not ready for primetime players. OK, I, yeah, I, season I just five was I, it. I still just associate that with SNL. So I guess I just always assume that they never changed that name. Yeah, no. Season five um, was kind of the end of that era, which uh, we will wrap up. But everything it kind of got a clean slate after five and then started fresh with six, with all new writers, a whole new cast. Uh, Lauren Michaels walked after season five and everyone followed him. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to Daniel in the comments who really described it quite well. It was basically the whole show was made up of what is usually the last two sketches of the night or the cut for time sketches now. And I think that that makes sense. Like you look at like, when you look at the lineup of SNL, it's very modern pop culture heavy in the front. And then like you would get like a digital short or something really out there as you get into like that one o'clock hour, but like that really out there would be the first skit. Like we have to talk about the very first sketch that appeared on SNL, because I think that sketch alone really sets the tone for how different of a Saturday night live we're looking at. Because if you think of SNL now, the opening, you know, you're watching Saturday night live live from New York at Saturday night was usually something tied to what happened in the news that day, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you turn it on, it's like a politician or, you know, right now it's a lot of like Anthony Fauci stuff or, or anything that's tied to what's happening today. But the very first one was just John Belushi playing a Russian man, misunderstanding like an English translator's heart attack as like, a thing that you're supposed to do in America. And it's about 30 seconds long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was the, the sketches were much shorter in the beginning too. You know, now we get into like four, even when you start getting into season three, season two starts, they get into long form, but they were, they were much shorter and just kind of almost like bits, which we'd seen before. And we've talked about before on like Monty Python's flying circus, uh, laughing. They kind of had more bit sketch style. Um, and yeah, all, all of the openings were not political and it was just this. And I think, like you said, that was the perfect way to open and go, this is what we're about to do. Yeah. This here's, and I mean, of anybody, John Belushi, it just so solid. Every single sketch you watch him in. That, is, was, yeah. that was my introduction to SNL was my grandfather who i mean has been brought up on the show because he's very important to me and like mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that i love i gained from him but he would watch the best of john belushi vhs tape constantly and stuff like as absurd like i don't think i realized it until years later like watching it and being like i don't think samurai delicatessen would fly like i just don't think i that would like, like daniel said that would be cut but, it would be like the, hey, we're running long. Let's cut the also, Samurai Delicatessen skit. Also, I don't, you know me, I don't really like to get into like the politics and what's correct and this, that. But every single thing I watch to just refresh, nothing, almost every sketch, I was like, you couldn't do that today. You definitely couldn't say that. <laughs> Could not do that. Ooh, it's a little pushy. Like that kind of, which is why I love the 70s so much in comedy is because it did push it. It was still before, you know, maybe not correctly but it it kind of was just this like free-for-all and it was almost the first time a lot of things had been tried or and and so you really feel that era of uh, mom and dad aren't home run wild yeah no there's there was definitely a, a lot of edge to those early years mm -hmm. um and and i think that it shows in again it even if doug kinney wasn't tied to snl ever like the influence of him was clearly in the writer's room because mm -hmm. you look at that stuff and then you look at like the two movies that he did get to write and make before his untimely death, animal house and Caddyshack are I, at the end of the day, those are SNL movies. Like those, like they oh, can say a national lampoon at the top, but they are S they are films. Yeah. Which we know. Down. I mean, Saturday night live ended up developing into great films. I mean, in my humble opinion, I think <laughs> they're all masterpieces. You're a big could... It's Pat fan. 
<laughs> um, no, actually, I'm not. It's, it's probably one of my least. Um, I do want to just quickly name off the original cast. Um, they were the study cast, almost all of them, for the full five years. And that's Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, Garrett Morris, Jane Curtin, and Lorraine Newman. And most of them did come from National Lampoon and Second City. You're, um, you're also missing uh, a really important cast member in the early days of SNL, which is uh, Cocaine. Uh, <laughs> I was like, no, this is like the like first season. Yes. Um, gosh. So <laughs> lots of drugs there. Um, I think Gilda was the only one that wasn't using anything. I think she kind of became like the mo- I think I read that she became like the mother backstage. I think that was like. Um, uh, don't I'm not do sure, that. and I know I feel like Jane Curtin was another real straight shooter. She kind of, yeah. which I I wrote her down as I think she's one of the underdogs of the original cast. Obviously, she gets the praise and was on screen a lot, but I, she's a name that we don't know enough and people don't praise enough. And I just want to give Jane Curtin like the biggest shout out because what a funny, solid comedian. And it's something to be said about a small cast that is that diverse that it has a couple women in there. Mm-hmm. Versus like, oh yeah. Usually like you feel like, unfortunately for many years, it sketch, especially in SNL, there was a long period where it was like, here's 40 white guys and the black guy and the woman. <laughs> like, you yeah. Know, and-, and unfortunately, um, you know, Garrett Morris was the only black member of the original cast. And he did kind of later in reflecting even during it have a lot of problems with it because yeah. he felt like he was getting the degraded small roles. He felt like what was being written for him was racist. And he really had a hard time um, and struggled with finding where his status was. And so he started freebasing Coke, like you said, <laughs> bring yeah. in the cocaine. And one time during rehearsals, um, they were doing a run through and he came in screaming saying that someone put an invisible robot on his shoulder and he's watching everything he's doing and begging them to get the invisible robot off. And so like, that was one of his crazy stories, but he, um, yeah, I know that that was kind of a a rough thing because that's a huge weight on his shoulders to be representing the only, you know, like he's the only one. And then being given the material he was given most of the time, it's like, it's almost nothing there. Like I think Mm -hmm. of the best, if you watch the best of John Belushi the best of Bill Murray and the best of Dan Aykroyd. Like if you watch any of those tapes, you'll maybe see him either with no lines as a background member or maybe have one line and very rarely is it like a joke. Yeah. It's it's, usually the setup for someone else's joke. Right. They kind of, you know, unfortunately used him as the token black guy on the cast and that's what, but we don't start to see that shift. I think until Eddie Murphy comes on, which he came on, I believe right in season six with the whole new and I'm going to give him the credit for paving that way of, you know, oh, being 100%. I mean, the hundred percent, the credit. He's, <laughs> I I mean, he's, a, he's attributed to saving SNL. Oh I, yeah. I mean, he, he single-handedly saved the whole show, let alone finding the right as a black man being the main star of it. That, that's huge, especially for yeah. the time. No, for awesome. sure. And yeah. it turned him into the biggest, I mean, uh, SNL as a launching pad, even in those early days, you almost, it feels weird because I feel like it hasn't been the launching pad that it clearly was in the seventies. And there's a, there's a book that I've mentioned on multiple podcasts that is like m- one of my absolute favorite books called wild and crazy guys, mm-hmm. how the comedians of the seventies changed comedy forever. And it really is when you analyze not just the SNL cast, but even like Steve Martin, who was never an official cast member, but hosted so much, especially in those first five years, mm-hmm. that people think he was a cast member because he was. Oh, in I mean, so he's much. had reoccurring characters that were constantly on. Yeah. Like speaking of wild and crazy guys, wild and crazy guys. But like those dudes, I feel like were that first generation of like just by being on the show, like these five guys are now bankable movie stars that like a year prior were doing a mock Woodstock show in like off Broadway. You right. know? <laughs> like, like it's like they, they became superstars so quickly. And then, you know, Eddie Murphy's like first five years is I, I think just a whole other episode of be- before yeah, my time, yeah. honestly, but like yeah. he became this other launching pad and then the nineties, but really of like the, 
like the 2000s and beyond like you have like the occasional like a will ferrell or or tina Amy Poehler, or tina Morgan. yeah like i they, think i disagree i think that's a huge i mean seth myers took over the late show that's huge jimmy fallon's on his own talk show maybe it's Kristen just Wiig has a huge cast i feel like i love the current cast, cast. I, think I love them too i just feel like i don't see fair them to say though but stars yet you don't know that's they're ah, they're currently on snl true. you can't anyone that was currently on snl you don't know their future yet so I'm still sticking with them. I think a lot of them have a very promising career. Um, I'm just a diehard. Anytime anyone's like, oh, SNL sucks right now. I go, do you watch it? They go, well, no. I'm like, can't say no, that the, then. Because this, this year has been, the last two or three years have been really good. The writers <laughs> and the cast are incredible. And it, the show as a whole always goes through dips. I mean, even season five was kind of a really low season. And everyone just kind of started, Meh. And you could say then, oh, it was terrible. But now people go, oh, it wasn't, you know, only in the 70s was it good. I was like, well, they had bad seasons too. So because it's an ongoing show and the cast is constantly interchanging, the writers are constantly interchanging, except for, you know, a handful here or there that stay a long time. You're going to get those, you know, you got to refine your groove. It's like going to a new school. It's like, where do I sit at lunch? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the other thing that's insane about that changeover from season five to season six is that it's it's not like today where it's like, okay, you've still got like, you know, maybe you've got 10 main cast members, let's say. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, like these three aren't coming back. So we're adding three new people or like these people who are in the writer's room are getting moved up. Like from five to six, it was just like a straight up like so long, everybody. Here's a whole new cast of people that you're just going to fall in love with now. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's tough. That's, you know, you're not going to. And they had a lot of people. I mean, let's start off with. Season one, I kind of want to get into some sketches too, but, um, you know, after season one in, um, it was mid season two, uh, Chevy Chase left and he was a huge, huge favorite. I mean, Lauren Michael said this show is going to go one of two ways. It's either you're going to leave and have your own film star and we'll continue our film career, or it's going to become the Chevy Chase show. And Bill Murray replaced him. And he got a lot of hate mail from fans because he wasn't Chase. You know, it's it people click on and and once their favorite goes, it's like, I don't like this show. And and we see that a lot today. Speaking of Chevy Chase, so the first episode actually is when Weekend Update started. And that was the first reoccurring segment ever on SNL. That was the first kind of established, like, okay, we're always gonna do this. Yeah. And it set the tone for the whole show. For what we know today, I feel like weekend update and the sarcastic, dry, pan, you know, it, that is the tone for the show. It really, and it's been said by many people that that really set the stage. I can't remember. It was a couple episodes in on season one when he started the, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And yeah. that line, it's just brilliant. Like it's so, and one of my favorites, speaking of Garrett Morris that I loved, um, and it came in season one was the news for the hard of hearing. Oh, Do you remember yeah. that when yeah. Chevy just, yeah, and he would just come on and basically repeat everything he just said, but yelling. <laughs> he said that the Democratic, it's one of like just the simplest, stupidest thing. And oh, it makes me so happy. And Daniel saying the best SNLs are when the hosts are down for whatever type of skit. Uh, Adam Driver is a recent example. And I think you and I have talked about this, like the more willing that the hosts are, but the host, even the host situation was a very different position. It wasn't supposed to be originally. The concept was not a guest host that changed every week. They wanted a permanent host and it kind of didn't work. And so they kind of threw in, but yeah, in the musical guests too, there were, there would be multiple musical guests per episode. It wasn't just like, and here's the one band or or performer. And that kind of changed within the first five seasons. You see it get to a more steady format. So there's, if you watch season one of SNL, you will see constantly bees. There's always a bee sketch. The bees appear 11 times in the first season. And um, there's one sketch that's really funny and it's killer bees gone wrong. And um, this is actually the first time it's an episode nine. And it's the first time that Lauren Michaels makes an appearance on camera, which now we know that he does not every episode, but you constantly kind of see him play himself and them trying to let's go talk to Lauren and see if we can get him to put this in. Or So this is the first time he comes on and um, I believe it's Gilda Radner and, and Chevy Chase are sitting watching the news and they're like, there's killer bees, you know, everywhere, beware. And then 
the rest of the cast comes in dressed as killer bee or bees and they're dressed kind of as like Mexican. I don't know the right word to use. Three Amigos is very, you know, we, yeah, a bunch of guapos rocking in there. I kind of, again, was like, I don't think they would allow this today, but, um, (laughs) and they're robbing them. They're the killer bees, you know, and they're give us your pollen. And it's a hilarious sketch. I'm like, this is so stupid. But then the camera keeps drifting and so they're like, wait, and he's given them huge speech about the bees and they got to get their pollen and, and the camera goes to the other bees and they're like, it's over there, it's over there. So it keeps happening. They're like, Lauren, Lauren, can you come in and help? So he ends up coming, he goes to the control room. There's a guy drunk on the desk. He's beating him up and it's really funny. Anyways, the first episode, the only note the network gave the show was cut the bees. That was it. And so out of spite, Lauren Michaels made sure to put them in almost every show. Because <laughs> it's the only thing they said, cut I, the bees. And they're the exact same costumes. And they just, and they do these like terrible bee puns. And it's always normally the host will be in it. And they normally stop the sketch. And they're like, well, I can't do this. This is stupid. Um, even the Blues Brothers first appearance. I was going to say, they showed up as the bees. Yeah, They were the all bee band. And that was their first. And it's so, John Belushi's just like, flipping and doing these crazy flips to his back which i'm a stunt woman and even i was like oh like those are called flatbacks and i've done them and they suck and i'm like he's just throwing himself watching those old john belushi performances one of the things that i'll sometimes do just to like cheer myself up and it's not i don't think that it's a laugh out loud sketch but i think it's a perfect Mm -hmm. example of like what snl was in those days is i love watching the blues brothers perform soul man yeah that first performance of it because it it's so serious like like they're jumping around and dancing like crazy but like you can tell that this is like they are this is what they want to be doing just as much as comedy as they want to be Mm -hmm. up there singing these songs dan Aykroyd's dancing up there he's dancing his ass off but yeah john belushi just high octane energy so at 110 his oh, joe cocker so performance is like one of the most it's, insane things i've it ever just seen shows to how talented they are like obviously they're brilliant comedians but then they come on and actually form a really good blues band um and they end up being the musical guest in season three because they made appearances even though they did a number as the all b band it, you know they weren't officially the, the musical guest but they came on as the musical guest and i was just watching and i was like gosh they are two of the funniest guys to the funniest writers as well. And this is also brilliant music. And that's what I love about this show is that it really does let everyone kind of show everything. So do you know where the blues brothers, like, like the origins of how that sketch first came to be? No, I don't actually. So this was something that I did learn uh, in that wild and crazy guys book is so Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi bought a warehouse that was right around the corner from uh, 30 Rock and turned it into their own personal like little blues club where Ooh. that was where all the after parties would go. And like, I think there was like a quote from Gilda Radner that was like, it was the filthiest place you'd ever go to. Like there was no upkeep. It was literally like only John and Dan had a key to it. You had to know where it was to find it. Like it wasn't ever at risk of being broken into. And like the musical guests would come and hang out. And then like, it kind of became like the talk of the town in New York. And it was like one night it was like Stevie Ray Vaughan and like dusty Gibbons from ZZ top were in there. And just Dan was like, go up on stage and just play. And like, they started playing blues. And it was the first time that John Belushi had ever heard blues music. Cause he was like a punk rocker. Okay. And he was like, what is this? So like him and like Dan Aykroyd started teaching him, about blues music but the whole fun story of that is that dan Aykroyd's house of blues the design of those buildings is built around what that space used to look like like that giant open empty warehouse look that is like the house of blues restaurant is inspired Mm -hmm. by like their original house of blues after party spot that's cool i did not know that because i am a frequent goer of the house of blues <laughs> damn it i love some southern food and go check out their sunday gospel brunch i've done it so many times and it's so good dude house of blues food oh. I, i've i've stopped there many a times in uh in i i still refer to it as downtown disney i know that's not what it's called in disney world anymore but 
uh, Disney Springs and Disney Springs. They have a house of blues and that's mm-hmm. definitely become a frequent dinner spot for the, uh, the Kelly family's Disney vacations. We, we used to have one in, in California, downtown Disney. There was a house of blues for a very long time. And just a few years ago, they relocated it, but I actually got to perform there. This little, I'd like backup dance to drag queen and it was fun, oh, but I was 17. Fun. So I had a fake ID to get in so I could go perform <laughs> my life. It's fine. Their macaroni and cheese is killer. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> so we did mention it already. We mentioned land shark and I do want to throw up another quote from Daniel. Cause it made me laugh uh, where he said, who wore it better land shark or the super bowl sharks. Um, but I mean, I'm going to give that to land shark, but Thanks. what a classic, classic, dumb, it's so yeah. good. If anyone doesn't know what land shark is, I'll kind of try to briefly explain it. Basically, there's always news reports like the land shark. It's the most dangerous. You know, they were kind of trying to do a Jaws 2 parody. Um, land shark's out on the loose and he always um, targets single women who are alone in their apartment. And so there'll be a girl, be Gilda Radner sitting on her couch and you hear the door knock and be like, telegram. What? Telegram? I'm not expecting a telegram. Flowers. Flowers and just real quick with all these at plumber. I didn't order a plumber. Yeah, flowers. <laughs> flowers for who? Uh, there's some from your grandmother. Oh, my grandmother. And he'll finally say something that gets him to open the door and then just this big shark eats them. And so it'll kind of go back from like that. And then it goes, um, at least one of the one of the sketches of this, I, this made me laugh so hard. It's Dan Aykroyd and I, I forget who's sitting next to him. They're kind of the reporting it and they're having to make the calls. And, you know, we're sorry to tell you, but, you know, Susan is dead now. And and so he's sitting there managing all these calls and you just see one of the girls get eaten and he's calling and obviously happens to break the bad news. He goes, you know, Mike, you know, I got to tell you something. I've got good news and bad news. Oh, you want the good news first? Well, Betty and I having a party. You should come by later. It's going to be real great. The bad news is looks like you're going stag. <laughs> like, just that. I was dying. My, dying and, oh. my land shark quote that I always go to is I think it's like at this point, because this is another like fairly reoccurring sketch. Um, but again, I think it's Gilda Radner and she goes, wait a second. You're just that crafty land shark trying to get me. And he goes, I'm actually a dolphin, ma'am. And she goes, oh, okay then. And that's what like, <laughs> See, that's what it's like the things that get them to actually open the door where they're, they're so, no, you're the land shark. No, I didn't order flowers. No, I don't. Oh, okay. And, and there was one, um, the final where they're saying like the land sharks out and, it's uh, the only way to attack it is to hit it in the nose. And and so she's, you know, it's like Jehovah's Witness. She goes, oh, oh, sure. Yeah. Do you want to learn about our Lord and Savior and let, let me in? And she's like, yes, I'd love to. She grabs this huge mallet and opens the door and hits. And then Garrett Morris falls down dead with all his pamphlets. <laughs> and like, I was just like that. Those kind of punchlines are. I think one of them, he literally just says land shark. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Gary, you with your jokes. Like, yeah, I've seen that. One too. It's, just, it's just every oh gosh. Okay, so I want to God. There's so much to talk about. Talk about Mr. Bill. Do you remember Mr. Bill? The, I remember. No! So Mr. Bill was from the first five. I always thought he was a '90s character. Mm-mm. He was from season one. Is the first time we see Mr. Bill. Wow. Yep. Yep. Season one, we see Mr. Bill. And if you don't know who Mr. Bill is, it's um like a little video short. It's kind of the start of you know now we're street seeing the the shorts come in and he's a little clay doll, Mr. Bill. And there was always, um, an evil sluggo was the other clay. And so it'd be like, sluggo's gonna help you. Oh God, there'd be different situations. Like he's here. You're going to do a magic trick. He's going to help you levitate above this bed of nails. No, I don't know how to levitate. And he'd have this real high squeaky voice and just, Oh, and then ready levitate. And there was Mr. Hands. So you just see hands maneuvering Mr. Bill. And then they drop him and he drops on the nails. Oh, and saw him in half and there was one he's at the beach and they're trying to put suntan lotion on and and put him in the water they just destroy him always and they're just oh no we'll help you and no don't do that that." and he's there's so many of them i can't even like but yeah anyways that's my mr bill rant i love him and he's he's from the first five years so i think what i was thinking of i just saw that dan had posted matt mr bill uh was in 90s commercials but i forget what product i think he might be getting that confused i don't think mr bill was in 90s commercials but i think they basically did the same bit for pizza hut with mr pizza head 
Hey, welcome to Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. And it would be a pizza that had like two pepperoni slices for eyes and like a bunch of olives for a mouth. And he would just be like, oh, no, I don't want to get eaten. I'm a piece of pizza. Like a hand would like throw him into like a party and a bunch of kids would grab him and eat him. It's like. Great. Very weird, weird. I I genuinely thought that Mr. Bill was yeah. Maybe he made a comeback in the nineties, but he might have. I'll have to I, look that up. I had it's... no clue that he was a first year character. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, it is fantastic. You had mentioned um, John Belushi's Samurai Futaba, and we there's two little anecdotes here, but he did premiere that on season one, and it was Samurai Hotel, and Richard Pryor was the the guest. And he's trying to, Dan Aykroyd comes to, I can't remember if it's Aykroyd or Chase now, actually, but um, to come check in, you know, and he's doing his, another, another sketch that I was like, he couldn't do this today, but he's basically just every sketch that his samurai character comes up, it's samurai accountant, samurai hotel, samurai, and he's in these businesses that people are coming to get help. And he, you can't understand. He's and everything he does just brings out the sword and whacks it around and it's hilarious. In season two, episode six, the host was Buck Henry, who is someone I really wasn't aware of, but Buck Henry hosted all the time. Like I, I want to say, say I think the he's first in the like highest amount of hosting uh, lists. Yeah, yeah, he was a writer and comedian, very not a household name, but was v- always on. So they did Samurai Stockbroker, and at the very end, John Belushi's whacking his, um, and it was a real sword. He cuts Buck Henry's forehead, and you can see it. And it, he's as he slices back up, it nicks him, and you just see blood come up, and you you see Buck Henry kind of go, and he's about to do his exit, and you he kind of goes this way, and then looks and continues with the sketch, and he continued the whole show. They medical came backstage and treated him, and they put a bandage bandage on his head, so he completed the rest of the episode with a bandage, and other cast members throughout started putting bandages on their head to kind of like you know support him, if you will. But um, it just shows, you know, it was that kind of mentality of show must go on. But it, if you watch the video, it kind of hurt a little to see. And I was like, oh, God. And he well, continues. He keeps going. We also know you're, you're very sensitive about head traumas right now. I am sensitive <laughs> about head traumas. For those of you who don't know, I'm recovering from two back-to-back concussions. It's been fun. I'm good. I'm alive. It's been six months. But I still, actually last night I was feeling it. Not having a good concussion day. But As you brought up Chevy Chase leaving. He left to do the mm-hmm. Chevy Chase. He was he was turning it into the Chevy Chase show. So Yeah. And he started getting a bit. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stories of his ego being a little yeah. too big for the show and um when he he did come back a lot um, this he is what i was half- gonna get into is can we talk about the fight backstage yeah, between him and bill murray bill murray yeah so they got into a fight i almost want to say that was season yeah it was season three he came on to host and he was the first cast member to come back to host and a fist fight broke out between him and murray they just started you know ripping each other apart and making digs and Bill um, Murray got out the best insult that <laughs> one of my favorite insults was that he just yelled your medium talent, which yes, yes, that's right. I was like, I can't remember what he said your medium talent. That's what I got. I got this, I guess, a troll on Instagram because I do some of you don't know. I do dad jokes almost every day on my Instagram stories or I'll go through phases. So they're really awful dad jokes, but I'm for them. And some guy was in my message request like was writing, like had been responding to my stories, being like, nobody cares, this, that, to something else. And then wrote this whole rant about like, you are not funny. You are zero out of a hundred funny. And I, that was one of my favorite reminds me of just like your medium. I was like, I am zero out of a hundred (laughs) funny. And then he called me a C word. And I was like, where did that come from? He said, he's Dutch. He goes, I am not American and I'm Dutch. So I know you're a C. And I was like, Thanks. And then I screenshotted it and sent it to everyone because I was like, this is hilarious. But yeah, <laughs> oh, the joys of being a woman on the internet. <laughs> it's fun. It's really fun. I've got it. You know what? 
But I couldn't imagine being a woman on SNL in the 70s. Talk yeah, about, let's get into the Let's get into Gilda because Gilda, Gilda Radner then. is probably every female comedian's favorite female comedian. I mean, you know, talk about paving the way, but a one woman show, which she did develop Gilda Live. And that was season five. A lot of people started resenting her because she was spending a lot of time with Lauren Michaels developing her show. Um, and so there was a lot of like, mm, but she kind of deserves it. She's really good. Um, in- she had she had just as much energy, if not more energy than John Belushi. But I feel like got overshadowed because of the unfortunate role of being a woman cast member. I think she might have had more like they, they had like different energy where she he was so chaotic. That- she, was she was so chaotic. And it's so <laughs> fucking funny. Like season three, I'm going to say is my favorite. Okay. That's when it's just like, it really found its groove. You've got, you know, the consistent sketches that we love are there and the new ones that are being developed. Finally, they're like, I'm going to try this or give it. And so um, do you remember the Judy Miller show with Gilda Radner? And she plays a kid in her bedroom, right? in her bedroom. And oh my gosh. And she does the like, my parents are playing crap, so I have to be up here. It's so boring. I'm in my room yeah. and it's so boring in my room, in my house, on my street, in the city, in my country, in my world, in my planet, in the universe. Like exactly just, how a child would talk though. Like, just, she and then she's like, it. Welcome to the Judy Miller show, la da da, where I'm your host and I'm also a bride and I'm getting married and here's my husband. Like just these When she would like bang herself against doors like, and running walls. Running up against like, the doors, and then you hear the mom, you know, Judy, what's going on up there? nothing which is you know this is the quiet judy miller show and i'm a ballerina like and my favorite she does another where she's in her living room and she obviously just got into a fight with her sister jennifer and it's the i hate jennifer show you do that jennifer is the worst i hate jennifer and she pees with the door open and and it's just like it's but it's such an amazing sketch like these two ones that i watched um i've seen before but kind of refreshed it's just her and it's a good four minutes, at least four minutes of no one else, just Gilda not stopping. And yeah. that's when I was like, this woman is, is incredible. She didn't need other people and she didn't need a whole story. They literally could just be like, here's your character. Just go. And she would just go wild. I just realized that this is literally sitting on my bookshelf that I could have cracked open at any point. The SNL first 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> way to help out you know yeah that's what i'm here for uh instead i've got you know just this notebooks and highlights great daniel said my mother-in-law calls my dog roxanne rosanna rosanna and adana rosanna rosanna and adana so she pops up in season three i'm telling you season three um unfortunately that was the last appearance of um emily latella who is the woman with the glasses she came on season one and she would go on weekend update a lot or there was one that uh jane Curtin was we're here to talk to emily latell about her new book teeny tiny she does all the teeny tiny and it's the teeny tiny kingdom where she talks about the teeny teeny tiny eensy weensy little princess marries the teeny teeny tiny and at the end it sounds like you know they lived happily ever after no because <laughs> One night, the princess finds out that the prince has a teeny tiny eensy weensy when Jane Curtin's like, don't, mother. Oh, okay. And she, it's kind of her, and she always does that, never mind. Like she would I go know the off. Ne- yeah, the never mind, I always she remember. She would with also her. do the never mind. And that was the, um, she would go on rants. Like one time she came on Weekend Update and he's like, and now to speak on, you know, there's too much violence on TV. And here to talk about it is Emily Littell. And she'd, you know, there's too many violins on TV. All these violins and the kids with the streets. And she goes on this like one to two minute rant and count points of why there's too many violins. Wait, wait, no, 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 not violins, violence. Oh, that's different. Never mind. And that was kind of the whole, and it's just so funny. But so we did lose her. It was her last appearance on season three. But I feel like in that replacement, we got Rosanna, Rosanna, and Adana. And she is hilarious. She's got the big poofy hair, poofy two little clips. And she'd sit up and and she kind of also goes off on these awesome tangents of, like there was National Non-Smoking Day when the U.S. tried to convince America to not smoke for a full day. And she comes on to talk about the, you know, dangers of smoking. But she'll get off and be like, you know, if you're going to smoke, 
you got to be healthy and go to the gym. Like those gyms that cost a lot. I like to just go so I can see people naked. You know, you see all these bodies and the thighs rubbing together and the different belly buttons. There's innies and outies. And then you go in the sauna. When I go in the sauna, I like to put the towel down. And she just goes off on this rant about the sauna. And there's this one woman <laughs> with a bead of sweat on her nose. And she goes, no matter what she does, and she it doesn't flick off. And she even she gets the sweat out of her ear. The nose on the, the sweat nose doesn't move. And just always oh, on and on and on and on. Finally, she's like, what does this have to do with smoking? Well, everything. It just, it's so, so great. I, so I great. feel like I've just am slowly realizing in this conversation how much Gilda Radner is like an inspiration on like your personality <laughs> on like, you really are that, that energy. That's me, right? I'm like, I know watching like the more and more, because I did grow up with watching Gilda Radner, but going back and just doing some more research and, and revisiting a lot of it. I was like, Oh wow. It's, it's funny when you do that and you kind of see the things that shape you, which is why I love this podcast. Cause yeah. I always ask I mean, my guests, like, how did this, how did this contribute to you becoming you? Because this does have an impact on all of us. Yeah. No, Gilda should go on our long list of like, I I think we could do a whole episode just on her career. Radner did. Uh, obviously there was a lot of canoodling within the cast and she did date quite a few, few different cast members and her and Bill Murray dated quite a bit and they broke it off. I think, I don't know if it was the beginning of season five or around that time, but when they broke it off, they would barely speak. And so it made sketches a lot more difficult and she kind of wasn't there as much, which gave Jane Curtin a bigger opportunity to shine. So she got a lot more screen time in season five, which is great. Again, we all know I'm a Jane fan. So with season five, was that, was that more so that like all of these actors, all these comedians had become legitimate movie stars at this point and were like going off to better things? Or was it more of a changing of the guard of NBC being like, it's been five years, we need fresh blood or a combination of both? Combination. So what happened is um, obviously Chase left season two and we lose Ackroyd and Belushi. Okay. And because they go to work on Blues Brothers. So... We lose them. And then actually season five is the first time that we have featured cast members, which we still kind of have today, that two tier level where you have the main players and then the featured cast and a bunch of writers got upgraded. Would you say to the featured like cast? People cast. in the writer's room. That, yeah. Which yeah. two of them were our brothers, Brian Doyle Murray's Bill Murray's brother and Peter Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's brother were both oh. writers that got upgraded. And then we have um, Don Novello, Tom Schiller and Ellen Zwiebel. And, oh, season four, sorry, Ackroyd and Belushi leave season four to make the Blues Brothers movie. So they did go off, but everyone, you know, Gilda was working on her live show, but in the end it became, uh, Lauren Michaels kind of felt like there was a bit of burnout and he wanted to take a break and go on a hiatus. And NBC originally, he was under the impression that they would be like, we'll pause the show, we'll wait till you come back. And they turned around and had full intentions to move forward. So he was pissed, he walks out and everyone followed is kind of, you know, the everyone that was left was like, we're yeah, going with there them. Because I think it was that everyone left. There was, I, I'm going to check the book right now. Because the book has every year broken down by who was in the cast. But I think that season six was like, like a tragic dead zone. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, like, it's crazy because, I mean, we think of, you know, Lauren Michaels is the creator and is now, you know, the 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 main guy in the backbone, but he didn't return until season 11. This is a fun, fun quote going back to cocaine and drugs. Lauren Michaels says, uh, speaking of drugs, the value system that was around was as long as people showed up on time, did their job, it was nobody's business what they did in their bedroom or in their lives. That value system turned out to be wrong. And <laughs> so there was obviously that stress. I just kind of wanted to throw that. Um, Dan Aykroyd, also was not a huge drug user and he did say as well the cocaine was the problem he said not for me it never was my favorite but it was around a lot and it was affecting the work and the performances the quality of the scripts wasting time and that was bad i definitely see dan Aykroyd was a writer as well and i'm gonna say he's my favorite male I, cast member in the first five years i think that it falls into two categories for me because i feel like it's it's the combination of Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. Ultimately, I think that like Dan Aykroyd is definitely the tighter writer. I think that that he is like your like triple threat, right? Like writer and actor and director. And I think that he captures something that I think wasn't captured by a lot of other cast members until you got to like a Chris Farley, which was that like 
he knew how to be funny, but also knew how to be like very human and empathetic. I think that's why I like him so much. And he he's it's interesting because I know his movies very well. And watching him on the first five years, he's almost a different performer where he does play that empathetic, you know, very humanized straight guy. But when he does his characters, he's hilarious. And not that I didn't think, you know, on Ghostbusters, he's funny and this, that. But, you know, the characters he plays doesn't necessarily give him the space to be that zany. And, oh, my gosh, he is his delivery, I mean, one of my favorites, and okay, I was I had to pause my research because I was laughing so hard and I knew it was coming. But um, so after Chevy Chase leaves, uh Jane Curtin does weekend update. Yeah. And she does it for all of season two. And season three, Dan Aykroyd joins her and they become the first co-anchored team. And they do a bit called point counterpoint, if you remember, and they'll take whatever kind of topic they're discussing that was relevant that week and they do a count counterpoint debate and they normally you know jane starts off and they just will throw in these little digs and insults instead of making it a proper this and he's sitting there and when she finishes jane you ignorant slut and that <laughs> oh my god i and i kn- i know that well and i had to stop i was laughing so hard his delivery on the count pointer counts of when they, you know, there's one they're talking about um, a famous, it's all news, obviously, that I'm not really aware of because it happened in the 70s. Some celebrity is parting with his wife and the wife wants to take more than half, but she cheated on him. So there's kind of, that's the debate there. And uh, his points are constantly like, you know, low life sleazy whores like you and her, like you and her would know. And he keeps putting her in with it. And it's the funniest. And they just do not break though. They are as straight as can be. And that's what I was just like, He's or he the Fred Garvin male prostitute. Yes. Oh, and it's so good. And it just is now I'm gonna show you a couple seductive poses. <laughs> I wanted to talk about one other sketch that is very uh geekscape appropriate. And it's one of my personal favorites. It's the uh, superheroes meeting together at a party, and it's like Bill Mary's playing Superman, John Belushi's playing the incredible Hulk. Uh, and, and Garrett Morris plays Ant-Man. And there's this amazing dialogue exchange where he's talking to John Belushi as the Hulk. And he's like, John Belushi goes, so what's your power again? He goes, well, I can shriek down to the size of an ant, but I still retain all of my human strength. And John Belushi goes, ah, well. And he looks at Bill Murray and goes, hey, Superman, get over here. Check out this guy. He's as strong as a human. <laughs> and like, <laughs> they all just start laughing at him. And that's like, like I can't remember the rest of the sketch, but that particular line has like always sat in my head whenever anybody talks about Ant-Man, who like, as we've learned in like the later movies, is like actually a pretty badass character. Yeah. But like, like to describe it is just like, well, I can shrink, but still have my human strength. <laughs> that is true until you kind of like, <laughs> which is what I love. You know, you think of like, oh, the superheroes in the 70s, it, the comics and maybe a few cartoons is really the majority of what they had. You know, now we have like the whole Marvel universe. And so we think of like, oh, yeah, this is so cool. But when you're getting just a comic version and break it down that way, you're like, eh, it's, mm. um, well, it's great. Let's get some final thoughts in there on this. Oh gosh, final thoughts! I have so many. Oh, real quick, remember the ambitious nerds? Bu- Im- Bill Murray Im- and Gil- Gilda Matt. Gil- yeah, they'd be Todd and Lisa. They're one of my favorites. I just wanted to give a couple memorable mentions. Um, Dan Aykroyd as Julia Childs cutting off his finger and blood going everywhere. Oh, here we oh, go cooking. At the end of the day, first five years absolutely worth checking out. Hands down, YouTube. It's, uh, there's so much on YouTube. There's so much that I didn't even cover that I wanted to because there's just there's too much. We'll just so, do a part uh, two. <laughs> we will do a part two, and I think we should dive into individual. You know, let's let's do a Gilda episode. Yeah, maybe. we'll tackle different cast members. The 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 John Belushi sketches of of the first five years, and just really hone in on one particular performer. I think would be fun. Uh, absolutely, I'm so I'm for it. Kelsey, I have one question for you. I like using these outros sometimes to talk about stuff that's sort of related to our topic, but isn't technically before either of our times. And 
I want to know who was your first SNL cast? Well, it would have been the early 90s cast. I can't remember. I, I'm going to say it's like Molly Shannon, Sherry O'Terry, Anna Gasteyer. Like the Will Ferrell. Um, Will Ferrell, but like early Will yeah. Ferrell. I'm trying to think if I watched it even before he came on. Chris Kattan. I think we're pretty Tim much. Meadows. That's, that's who I grew up ins- with. Yeah. I think we're completely yeah. insane. Yeah, that's. Do you remember watching? I almost remember watching the rise of Tracy Morgan. Like I remember seeing him as like a background yes, actor. Oh, a, a thousand percent. Yeah, like it was like he was a background mm-hmm. actor who every once in a while would have this really fire line in one sketch, and then like all of a sudden he's like, and then he got Brian Fellows. Yeah, he just saw him rise amongst the ranks. I love Brian Fellows. I'm Brian Fellows, my, and uh, astronaut Jones was my astronaut oh my Jones. god, so it's good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw one other question because I do think that most of these also unfortunately fall before our time. Um, and next month for Geekscape YouTube related reasons, go and subscribe Geekscape TV. Um, what What is your, do you have a favorite SNL movie? Because the 30 year anniversary of Wayne's World is next month. Probably. Yeah, probably Wayne's World would be like they all are so, if not exactly equal, very high up there. But Wayne's World, there was a summer. Um, my family went to Florida, and we, it was like when the newer, smaller camcorders started to come out. <laughs> and my sister and I had our, we like got our own camcorder. And the entire trip, like we were so obsessed with Wayne's World. I have to be a preteen, and like every time my dad tries to like talk in, I'll be like, no, only Giselle and I can talk into the camera. <laughs> Like you could tell we like watch it. We're like, oh my God, we were like, and my text tone when I first got my first like slide phone, um, every time I got a text was swing. <laughs> like, I love Wayne's world so much. Mike Myers is someone that can walk on camera and I laugh. Like even his movies that flopped, I'm like, that's not a flop. So Wayne's world, um, night of the Roxbury and superstar are very high up there for me and Coneheads as well. I love Coneheads, but those are kind of my top ones that come to mind. The others... Yeah. I, so you mentioned su- okay. You? So you mentioned Superstar and and Night of the Roxbury. I mean, I think that the but, yeah. I think both Wayne's World movies are are fantastic. Yeah, uh, Wayne's World's gonna just be right above yeah Night of the Roxbury and Superstar, but I can't between those two. Oh, and obviously, like, it's not a movie that I often want to watch, but every time I see it, I'm like, this is a really damn good movie. Is obviously the the first SNL movie, the Blues Brothers movie, is like a flawless film. Yeah, but. Of like the of that late 90s, like of our generation of SNL, which I feel like most of those movies get very unfairly uh, shit on specifically like the night the Roxbury's and the superstars. But for me, people that shit on those movies have no soul. <laughs> the end. For me, ladies, man, I used to uh, quote, yeah, ladies, man is great. I used to quote ladies, man, like I can still quote most of that movie for whatever reason I would watch it. There were summers where I would watch it almost every night. Like it was one of those movies I just thought was so funny. I need to rewatch it um, as an adult because when it came out, I was I remember it coming out and not being allowed to watch it. Was it was very sexually explicit. It's so sexually explicit. <laughs> and I was just at that age, like obviously Night at the Roxbury Superstar, they they have a lot of the innuendos, if you will, and a lot of movies. Like I rewatch Ace Ventura um when nature calls now and I'm like, Oh my God, I was like five when yeah. I was watching this is so inappropriate, but so much of it goes over your head. But this one was just so in your face that I wasn't allowed to. And so I didn't grow up with it as much it's, as the other movies. And that's why it's not as to my core. It's a weird one. Cause it's a, it's an R rated movie, but like from a language standpoint, it's a very PG 13 movie. Like it was like, mm-hmm. you can tell that they thought that they were possibly going to get away with this being a PG-13 movie. <laughs> right. The MPA was like, absolutely not. I'm sure that there's going to be more SNL episodes because even though we covered the oh, first absolutely. five years, you the, the, the rough era of that mid-80s, like early to mid-80s, we still got to cover that because that's a wild yeah, time. Yeah, we got to cover that. <laughs> and we also, I still really want to get into, and I know we said it a lot on the episode, like we'd be talking about Gilda Radner. We're like, we have to dedicate a whole episode to her. And like, it's just to, to go into each cast member's history alone is, yeah, there's oh, so much there. And I A wanna, John Belushi you know, episode so, no, needs to happen because I, I think yeah. that's a career, 
And I think that that's where it's going to get really interesting with Before My Time is like right now we're kind of doing these like giant grand concepts most most of the time. Mm -hmm. But when we start to get into those granular like, all right, let's really just like analyze the career of like where you and I are trying to track down every movie that John Belushi was in to like watch Mm -hmm. and be like, all right, let's like track this dude's very short but like clearly profoundly influential career. Like that's when it's going to get. I'm excited for when we get to that point, but we're we're yeah, building yeah, up to I that. We're building up to that. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> well, Gelsey, if people enjoyed this episode and they absolutely don't want to miss out on when the next live episode of Before My Time oh, happens. No, they don't want to miss out. Where can they go to make sure that they never miss that stuff? They can go to Instagram at Before My Time underscore podcast you can also go to facebook and type in before my time we will pop up there you can join the community of people who also like things before their time and share your zany wacky passions of the past we also will be you know putting out little announcements of like don't miss this so that's where you'll find a live and you found this podcast so you obviously know where to find us but you can find us on any major streaming podcast service how'd i do matt you did a great job and also i mean if you're listening to us toss us some star ratings and some reviews because they make us feel good about our side (laughs) it does i looked the other day and i saw like a five-star review and i was like wow that person whoever you were Thank you, five-star reviewer. All right, well, we'll be back next week with even more Before My Time. Ciao. Unstable Topics, a fast-paced, jam-packed, unhinged, bestie podcast filled with facts, reacts, and made-up games in between. We're your hosts, Sarah and Maggie, and we're excited for you to join our best friend hangout, where we surprise one another with things we find interesting or hilarious just to see how the other will react. Our friendship might be totally stable, but you never know what your bestie might throw your way to knock you off your game. So come shake things up, learn something new, and laugh along with us. This is Unstable Topics. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.